Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Thank you so much for doing this, Allie. I appreciate it. This is weird for you? Not at all. I'm so excited. Are you serious? I was looking forward to it all day. This is just us coming out. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me here on Reppin. I'm Evelyn, your host. You know that saying, nice guys finish last? That's not always true, but it can make it harder to succeed. But my next guest has proven that nice guys do win. She's a media expert with over 25 years of experience in entertainment and television. Her credits include producing with ABC's Good Morning America. She followed that up by launching and executive producing Global Shopping Network and then she became one of the original producers for Barbara Walters' The View. And if that wasn't enough, she continued and worked with Al Gore on Current TV. Now she's got her own consulting firm where she specializes in strategic communication, executive presence, reputation management, all the way to leadership coaching. She is someone that powerhouse people like Tyra Banks and Alex Rodriguez have on their teams to help them with their business. She's also a lecturer at Stanford University, showing students all the different ways to be an effective communicator and ultimately a successful leader. She has risen to every challenge, navigating the oftentimes volatile entertainment industry and its personalities. And every single time she has handled herself with class, integrity, and kindness. How do I know this? Well. I've watched her lead by example for over 20 years because she was my former executive producer, someone I respect and adore, and she is also one of my best friends. I am so thrilled to have her. Please meet Allison Kluger. First of all, Allie, thank you so much for doing this with me. This is really a full circle moment because we've known each other for a minute. You were responsible for giving me my first job out of college. <laughs> so thank you so much for, for coming on and talking to me. Your experience is incredible, but why don't you let listeners know a little bit about your background because you've done so much uh, that it's, it's almost impossible to cover all of it. So tell us a little bit about your background and your experience in television production and what you're doing now. First of all, Evelyn, this is so special. And it is full circle. And we've known each other for more than a minute. We're up in the double decades, <laughs> even though I know we're both very young. So I don't yes. know how to work out that math. I started off in television very early on. I went to University of Pennsylvania and I interned at Good Morning America my, my uh, junior summer. And I remember saying to myself, I'm going to work here when I graduate. And senior year, I kept going back and doing vacation fill-in. And all my friends were like, you're crazy. You're putting all your eggs in one basket. I said, I'm going to work at Good Morning America. And sure enough, I got the job and I started working there three days after graduation. I spent eight years there and I did all different kinds of segments, traveled all over and came up with story ideas and coached people. The greatest job, but as many of us find, first of all, being a young woman, staying somewhere a little bit too long, I hit that ceiling. And I got called to a new shopping network called Q2. And boy, did I think my career was going to go in the dumps, but they were paying me twice as much, Evelyn. And so I felt what? like I had to take this chance. Yeah, they doubled my salary. So it was a totally mercenary decision. <laughs> Strategic move is what I call it. Yes. Allie's got to make more money. Yeah. And I went over there to produce. It was run by Barry Diller and Diane von Furstenberg. I went there to produce and I ended up being an on-air talent. I sold products for four hours straight. So I'm a great storyteller. 
And I learned how to really be persuasive. And after a couple of years there, I went in, I helped start up another shopping network called GSN, which is where our story begins. I was executive producer and it was 16 hours of live television. And this wonderful young woman named Evelyn came in and I might be the most fun interview we've ever had, right? Well, when I first met you, I thought you were like 22 because you were super <laughs> tiny. And, and frankly, you looked like you were in your 20s. And I was like, wait, there's a 22-year-old as an executive producer? Like, what the hell? But I remember your being so nice. It was scary almost. You know, as, as an executive producer, I was thinking like, you know, this sort of big, huge, scary presence. And you were just incredibly warm. And you had all of these gossip rags thrown <laughs> across your um, your whole desk of like People Magazine, yep. Inquirer, I think it was. Guilty, guilty as charged. Yeah. And you were super nice. And that was a fun interview because it really wasn't an interview per se. Well, you know, I'll just be a little transparent here and we'll let everybody know that basically after the, the basics were gone over your experience and why you wanted to work and what you can do, then we just started talking about pop culture. Yeah, celebrity gossip. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he probably went head to head with me. I hadn't met someone so knowledgeable as I am. We had problems. <laughs> it wasn't knowledgeable. I, I like your spin, but we actually had issues with, with how much celebrity gossip we both knew. Yeah. And we would pick each other out whenever something new happened. Like, yeah. yeah but do you know this? Oh, yeah. I know you scoop me. I hate when you scoop me. I don't think I have ever scooped you. And at this point, I, you're way ahead of me because I, I can't <laughs> absorb any more outside stimulus at this point. It's true. There's too much coming at us. But yeah, so I stayed there for um, a few years and managed it, created some shows, did on air. And then what's interesting is ABC called me back and they said, we have the new show, The View. My dream was always to work with Barbara Walters. I had actually been offered a job with her right out of college as well to work at her Barbara Walters special. Even back then, I realized that if I was the lowest person on the totem pole in a staff of seven, my upward mobility would be very slow. But at Good Morning America, I had a bigger chance of getting promoted. But I always said I wish I could work with her. So it was a dream come true. And I helped create the show and was one of the coordinating producers in the control room and worked with writers and producers and directors. And it was a great job. She's a very special woman. And she really shaped a lot of my views on how to behave. And then I moved to California, Ev, and my husband wanted to go to the Graduate School of Business at Stanford, and I had to figure out how to support us. So that's when I started pivoting into a startup, a dot-com, and then I went to interactive television, and then I went to MSNBC, and then I had an opportunity to start a network with Al Gore. I took that job not for the money, but because I really wanted the experience of working with the vice president. Yeah. He wasn't a vice president then, but he was awesome. Still Al Gore. Al Gore, man. The environment. I think that one of the amazing things that I sort of wanted to say, and I've said this to you a bazillion times privately, and I certainly would be happy to say this publicly as well. One of the many things that people need to know about you is literally from jump, regardless of whether you were an intern or a PA. In my case, I was a PA, a production assistant, which is mm -hmm. right out of school. You were always kind, regardless of hierarchy and rank to everyone. And when you're just getting out of school, you hear a lot of scary stories about the entertainment industry. Also being Chinese and my parents were immigrants, yep. it was not something that I was supposed to do. Like you just don't, I didn't see Asian people around me, let alone in the entertainment industry. So breaking in was like, what? And all the stories that you hear about the entertainment industry in many times is true about how cutthroat it is and how political it is and how volatile it can be and how difficult it can be to succeed and how it's hard to find genuinely nice people. And that's all true in varying levels. But Allison, through everything, and you and I've worked on two huge shows because after the shopping network, yeah. coincidentally, we ended up both on The View. Which was fabulous. Which was amazing. And, you know, that show had much stronger personalities. And I don't mean like on screen, I mean off screen. And, you know, I, again, was still just out of school, was witnessing a lot of chaos and the politics play out. Yeah. And through it all, you navigated it without ever compromising your kindness, your compassion, your diplomacy, your integrity, and your character. I think, you know, certainly back then, now that I have 20 some years under my belt, <laughs> I feel even more confident in saying how much more aware of that and how much more aware how difficult that can be to succeed in this entertainment industry, which is wonderful, but it is very competitive. 
I know now more than ever how difficult it is to navigate with your integrity and character intact. And you are that person. You have never, never been anything less than gracious, super smart, really talented. And I'm so thankful that you are were one of my mentors. You continue to be one of my mentors. You're one of my best friends. And you're always showing, not telling, truly that you can succeed without being an asshole, <laughs> essentially. Thank you. I appreciate that. How did you learn how to, A, be self-assured, self-realized, and, and know you don't have to politicize everything and, and be crazy and chaotic to succeed? I agree with you. And thank you for all those kind words. I, I actually think you you embody the same qualities, and that's probably why we are connected so thank much you. on a personal level. From a very early age, I was really sensitive, Evelyn. I had my emotions wear on my sleeve, and my mom taught me from a very young age to lead with love. And she'd say to me, someone was being mean to you or bullying or anything. She's like, hurt people hurt people. So try to look at it with empathy because maybe they're going through something and it's really not about you. And so a lot of it was putting myself out of it and trying to recognize, is this person going through something? Is there pain? In the early years, it was much harder. I didn't have the maturity, but I had a very strong moral compass. And I can give you a quick example. When I started working at Good Morning America, there was this wonderful correspondent, Joel Siegel, and he did all the movies. And he was great. And when I was an intern, he was really kind to me. When I started working there, what I didn't realize is he tends to haze the new people a little bit. And he, um, in front of a lot of people, kind of gave me a dressing down about something that really made no sense and wasn't warranted. And I was so embarrassed and hurt that he would do that to me. I didn't say anything in the moment. I just took it. But the next day I saw him in the hallway and he came up to me as if nothing had happened. He's like, hey, Allison, how are you doing? And I just said to him, and I was, I think, 21 years old. And I said, Joel, I'm really upset with you. I admire you so much. And um, you've been so good to me here. But how you talked to me yesterday was really demeaning and it wasn't deserved. And I'm too hurt right now to talk to you. And he was so taken aback. The reason why it worked was because I didn't scream. I didn't yell at him. I didn't call him names, but I just told him my truth. And he said, Allison, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I didn't realize. And it never happened again. And it was a big lesson for me because there's something about you have to role model. Like I can't be responsible for other people's bad behavior. All I can do every day is show up the way I want to show up as the best version of myself. And having also started as an intern, right? And then as a AP, having gone up each step. I remember what it was like to be low man on the totem pole and get more responsibility and then be an eventual leader. And how much a kind word meant to me and how much people hung on what you did and you know how you came in with your energy. I remember like when you work and like if your president or CEO came in and they're like slamming things down on their desk or muttering or everyone thinks it's their fault. So what it made me aware of is like how I show up, my energy is going to impact people. So I can do it either way. And I just wanted to raise people up because I was such a sensitive person. And it just seems to work better also, Evelyn. Yeah. I think compassion and empathy are really great tools. And I teach this at Stanford. Understanding that people are having things going on and maybe asking questions is a great way to diffuse a really bad situation. <laughs> Which makes me go, okay, being kind and leading with kindness. I'm like, hmm. I mean, you're always kind. You're almost like way too kind to people sometimes <laughs> where I'm going like, was that actually good or did it actually suck? I don't know. Because you're always too nice. Well, I'll tell you something interesting, Evelyn, is when I was working in um, Open TV, which was a digital place, I, I had that reputation. My team like really loved me. But the other line was, you don't want to see Allison mad. I don't think I've ever seen you mad. Yeah, that's what people like. I, don't just, I can't imagine you angry. And I'm like, oh, you should see me in the morning with my kids. It's a totally different <laughs> scenario. But, you know, my mad is not what you and I saw with a lot of the people in television, which is like screaming or berating, you know, or a lot of high stress gesticulation. Yes. You know, my, my mad is like very quiet and very pointed and very blunt. You know, I'm not happy with this or I'm disappointed, but I don't want to demean or diminish anybody. Right. You know, it doesn't make me feel good to make someone feel less than. And we all make mistakes. And sometimes people just aren't aware of their bad behavior. So all you can really do is say, you know, this doesn't feel good. And I always say also in a work environment, this is really good advice, is like keep it in professional terms. 
if someone's yelling at you, you know, say, you know what, this is not very professional and it's actually not very productive. So maybe I'm going to walk away and we can talk about it later, you know, but I'm not going to tolerate this. So as long as you keep it in a professional term, instead of like, you know what, you're an asshole. (laughs) Stop screaming. That doesn't work. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So when I was working, this was at the shopping network before you, Evelyn, it was the Q2. I came in from Good Morning America and I was coming in to produce the home department, which meant that I was going to be helping sell products for the home, like garden and kitchen, everything I don't know how to do because I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> and um, the reason they picked me for the department is at Good Morning America, I did the theme week, Home Improvement. So I, I produced all these segments on Home Improvement. So they paired me with this woman. I'm not going to say her name, but I'll call her... Uh, Let's call her... Come up with a good name. Mary. We'll call her Mary. And so they paired up the producers and they paired me with Mary. And Mary came up to me the first day. And this was like a tiny woman. She just didn't look like a happy person. She had very dark energy. And um, she came up to me and she's like, I'm so glad they paired me with you because everyone likes you and I hate people and you're going to be my buffer. A giant red flag just went right up. I'm like, oh, damn, maybe we'll balance each other out. So we got along great at the beginning. She's very sarcastic, very negative. And I'm kind of very like optimistic and Pollyanna, but we're funny. Yeah. And then what happens is our host quits and they say, Allison, you go on air. So now I've become the talent and she just felt betrayed. She was looking for me to be her buffer and work with her on producing the show. And now I'm her talent. And it was unbelievable. The switch, right? Oh, yeah. It was like anything to ostracize me, make me the pride in our whole group of buyers, everybody. And she would call me All About Eve, Eve from All About Eve. Have you ever seen that movie or do you know what that movie's about? No, but I do, I do know the reference. The obviously. reference, right. It's someone who's so ambitious that they'll step over everyone just to get their moment in the sun, which couldn't be further from the truth. I, no. I was nervous about being on air. So she'd call me Eve and she wouldn't let me go to my husband now, but my boyfriend then, his law school graduation. And so she did a lot of stuff. And finally, at one point, came to a head and she said, I've been just so good to you. And I said to her, you've been a total bitch. Now, this is the first and only time I've ever used profanity in a workplace. It felt so good in the moment, Evelyn, I swear to God. <laughs> That's shocking to hear you say that because I've never, ever, ever Ever. I know. You don't really curse. Yeah. I don't know what came over me. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. But what ended up happening is it became so much worse. I opened the floodgates to even more bad behavior because I had used a curse word and called her a name. And so then she would talk in my ear when I was live on air. Again, she'd call me names. And my father was dying during this time. Oh. It was really stressful for me. And during one of the days that I was there, the, the emergency team, 
they had to come to his house. I think dad had a heart attack and I left work really early, but I came back the next day because I had a show. And then she's like, Allison cares so much about being on hair that she doesn't care. Her father almost died. And that's what she was saying. I came because I was so afraid she'd get me fired and say, Allison doesn't care about work. Yeah. So there was no winning with this woman. So anyway, the lesson is that I made it worse. And then about two months in when I'm throwing up every day because of stress and she keeps losing me, I finally just came up to her one day and I said, you know what? This has to stop, Mary. We are the number one show. We have the most sales. I'm doing my job and I've got too much going on in my life. I'm throwing up every day. My father's dying and I don't need this. And it was like, you push back on a bully. And she was like, okay, okay. And that was it. That was the day taught. And so again, the whole lesson was, I can say my truth and I can say it in a nice way. If I lose my temper and behave poorly, I'm opening the doors for someone else to behave poorly to me and it escalates. And I swore after that point that I would only deal with people in a very kind, compassionate way because she was so horrible to me. A really interesting end to this story is that I called her 24 years later. Yeah. I was teaching my reputation management class at Stanford Graduate School, and I teach a class on apologies and how it adds closure and it is grace and giving people a chance to tell their narrative. And I called her, but it was very awkward because I kind of stalked her on LinkedIn. Like I, I, paid the, I paid the premium price just so that I could message her. Right? And then I wrote something like, I have a business question for you. Because I knew if I said, I want to resolve something that happened 24 years ago, she would have never responded. But I had heard through the grapevine that she had said to someone like, nobody in this world hates me, but Alison Kluger does. I don't hate anybody, but she obviously knew we did not have a good relationship. Well, clearly, yeah. Yeah. So she responded and I asked if I could call her and I called her. We made some small talk about COVID for like the first 20 minutes. And then I said, Mary, do you know why I called you? And she's like, I'm dying to know. I have no idea. I said, I want to talk about what happened because it was a bad time. It was a bad thing between us and it felt really abusive. And I just want to know what was going on with you in your life. She's like, Allison, I was a terrible person. I was going through a lot. And she could not believe I gave her the opportunity to tell me her story. And then she just kept apologizing. Allison, I'm so sorry. You were terrific. I didn't know why. I definitely took it out on you. She apologized so much. And I, so I said to Mary, it's okay. You don't have to apologize. She's like, no, I really do. But I'm so grateful for you for calling me. So I'm so grateful too, because this has been something I've always wondered about. And you know, we've moved on and we wished each other well. It was like um, I had cauterized a sore, like I cauterized like an open wound that had stayed with me and that sense of injustice. Again, I wasn't mature enough. I was going through my dad dying and all of this stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I handled everything the right way, but just another lesson in life. Let's just say both of you guys were obviously in different points in your lives and there were lots of things happening in both of your lives respectively. I think the grace and the courage, not even courage, the balls to actually call someone up yeah. to address and resolve this situation because clearly she was a bully. Allison, again, and I'm not blowing sunshine up your ass. You know, I love you and we're, you're one of my best friends, but like that really does take a lot of class to handle it the way you did. Now, I will say that, you know, again, during the times that we've worked together on the two shows and since, mm-hmm. you know, being in this business for as long as I have been and you too, I know that it's not easy. And a lot of times you are attacked. You meaning you, Allison, I've seen it happen and I've certainly been under attack as well. I don't think to the degree that you've gotten, I've been fortunate that I've found amazing people like you and some other people that I've nestled under and I've worked with, but it's hard when people are cutting you down. Let me just say this on the record. Very few people handle the situation you do, Allison. How did you sort of not compromise and and hold so steady? Because people come at you quite ferociously and you have never wavered in your goodness. And you've always been so good about sort of towing that balance. And I'm still trying to learn from you like because I sometimes take it personally. Yeah, I think Um, taking personally, Evelyn, is very common. No one wants to be attacked. I think a lot of it is feeling misunderstood. For me, the worst thing is being attacked is feeling misunderstood. Like my intent is called into question. I know for me, whether I'm doing a good job or not, my intent is always pure. But this is the one thing I told myself, and I don't know if this works for you, but I feel like you follow this too, is that you may not like me. I may like represent everything you hate, even just by how I show up. I was a young perky blonde when I got to GMA. Yeah. And there was an older female producer who just hated me on site. 
I represented everything that annoyed her. Mm-hmm. You know, young, perky, blonde, seems to be privileged. Nothing could possibly be wrong in my life. Right. Right. And she just, just talked to me horribly and kind of made fun of me and all of that. I don't know what was going on in her life, but this is what I said to myself. I'm not going to ever make her like me and that's fine, but I'm going to work so hard that she can't say anything bad about me or my work ethic. I said, because no matter what, I'm going to be the best at what I do. And that is how I won her over. It might've taken a couple of years, but she really respected me because she saw that I was smart, that I worked hard, that I get along with everybody. I'm a problem solver. And that's what I really believe is foundational because people are crazy. And in the television world, as we know, you know, it's very un-PC. These days, I'm sure it's changed, but, you know, there was really bad behavior and people acting out. It was almost funny at times. But what I found is be quiet, nod, say your truth if you have to, defend yourself, but don't rise to their level. It's just going to give them permission. Teaching reputation management that, again, if someone's like screaming or whatever and you meet them where they are, it just is like a flame that explodes. But if you put a warm blanket over that flame, you're going to put it out. Yeah. When someone's really nasty and they're doing something and you say something like, wow, you seem really upset. I'm so sorry. What can I do for you? How can I make this better? All of a sudden, they have nowhere to go. They can't keep screaming at you. All of a sudden, you've offered them empathy and you watch the wind just go out of them. And they'll go like, yeah, you know, it's really unfair. This has been happening. And I'm like, wow, that is terrible. Is there anything I can do to help? And all of a sudden, you've really turned it. And that has worked for me my entire career and in life. Yeah. It's not like I'm this perfect, wonderful person. It is strategic. And this is what I teach people. You can meet them where they are and nothing happens. Or you can try the empathy, presence, listening route and see what happens then because people just want to be seen and heard. I'm definitely still learning from you because I still find it very difficult to have very big, powerful personalities come at me and sort of like lose their shit and I need to sort of diffuse it. I think I've gotten better. I've used to be completely leveled by mm-hmm. um, people, but I think through life experience and time and age yeah, and, and learning from you and, and watching you do it, you make it seem effortless. I'm still grateful that I kind of can look to you and say, oh my God, what the fuck do I do? You know what I mean? Evelyn, I've got some years on you, right? I have some years mm, on you. Yeah. And I think you're really discounting what I've observed in you in all the years we worked together and all the years we've known each other. I think when you're, when it's happening to you. Yeah. You know, I have like a bubble above my head. I call it my New York City bubble because here I'm in California, but I'm a New York City girl. I think these things. I just don't say them. And then once in a while, I'll look for someone who I know will understand my bubble and I'll go, do okay. you know what my bubble's saying? And they'll be like, yeah, I know exactly what you're thinking. I always say it's not manipulative, it's strategic. I learned this in Paths to Power. One of my dear friends here at Stanford, Jeff Pfeffer, teaches one of the most popular courses called Paths to Power. And one thing he told me has stuck with me. Which is? And what he says is, if you want something and someone is standing in your way of getting it, then it's on you to figure out how to get this person to help you. That is really the crux of it. Whining, complaining, demanding, insulting, never is going to get you what you want. But asking good questions, asking how you can help, offering to do something, anything, you know, quid pro quo, that's going get to get you what you want. And so I'm very aligned with that philosophy in life. And I'm very aligned with being strategic and thinking about what does this person need to hear or see for me to move the needle? So I teach in strategic communication here that it's very important to have aim. Aim is audience, intent, and message. Oh, wow. So for whatever communication you have, who's your audience? Depending on who your audience is, your message is going to change. You can't just come out and you're an expert on something and then just talk about what you want if the audience already knows it or doesn't care about it. So before I speak at any keynote or a seminar or a workshop, my first question is who's in the audience? What's their goal? What do they need to know? Do they need to be entertained, informed, reassured, placated, challenged, or a bunch of those? Then I will figure out what's my intent. As a result of this communication, do I want you to invest in my idea? Do I want you to advocate for me? Do I want you to sign a survey? Do I want you to give me money? Do I want you to tell another student to take my class? Mm. And then finally, now that I know these, what is my message? After I have this communication, can they go and leave and say, this is what Allison wants and needs? Can they repeat my message? So if you keep that acronym AIM, 
audience intent and message, it works with anything, even with parenting, with relationships, with (laughs) in-laws. It it does because I'm very attuned to what the audience needs. And so if you have one takeaway line, it's not about what you want to say. It's about what your audience needs to hear. It's really important in production and in storytelling and in content. And I think you already do it naturally. A lot of people don't realize it. You have that gift, but some people, you know, they're more about themselves yeah. and puffing themselves up. So that's what a good content creator does. You've been such a guiding light in my life, and I'm so grateful. And, and I don't mean just professionally, you know, personally as well. I knew it back then when we started that it was going to be, you know, a, a difficult business. And it would be hard to survive being a good person. Mm-hmm. But after 20 something years of it, I, I just have a much better sense of what that means. And you show me that it can be done. I'm not saying it's easy. So I just sort of wanted to acknowledge that I think you're really incredible that you've been able to navigate and be successful despite all of the difficult, colorful personalities that we've had to encounter that truly attack you. And through it all, you have been a class act. Thanks, you, Evelyn. Now, I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk about your celebrity clientele. Mm-hmm. The people that you work with are heavy hitters. I think it's pretty badass. If you think these guys are like A-listers, you got to figure out this is the woman that's actually behind the <laughs> A-listers that they're coming to for advice. You're very... So let's 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 do some name dropping, Allie. Let's do All it. Right, let's well, go. Let me set the context, which is I have my own media consulting business. And I started this before I had children mm-hmm. when I was taking a break to raise them. And then after media for 20 years, I pivoted to higher education at Stanford Graduate School of Business. Yeah. Started teaching reputation management, strategic communication, and then I created my own classes. Yeah. One of the classes was with Tyra Banks, and I didn't know her beforehand, but I did know that she had been on The View and on Good Morning America. Who has it, right? I'm a big fan. As you know, I'm a pop culture nut, so I watched America's Next Top Model, and I was oh, very yeah. aware of her. Allison, you're like a TV guide. I swear, if I can make money, people have told me I'm their lifeline. No one actually called me, but they said if they were on that show, I would be their yeah. lifeline. But I have had people call me randomly and say, Allison, who's that celebrity who did that? And I'm like, this is the person. It's a really weird gift. It makes me no money, but it is a joy. <laughs> and then, <laughs> So anyway, Tyra came to speak at Stanford and I'm in the front row because I'm, you know, I'm just watching and soaking up. And she's talking about her personal brand and she's giving some really great lessons, which is, it's okay to be underestimated because she says, I'm a tall, black, female supermodel. If I go into a meeting, people have certain expectations of me and it's always less than what I am. But then I go in and I blow them away because if someone underestimates you, you have a chance to prove them wrong. Mm -hmm. She said, leave the party before the party's over. Different is better than perfect. Like so many fabulous lessons. So as I'm sitting there, my brain is going crazy. And I'm like, I've got to teach a course of personal branding with her. So when it's over, I say to my colleagues, I'm going to go talk to Tyra. And they're like, okay, Allison. I go backstage and there's a security guard. He's like, you can't come back here. And I said, oh, no, I can. I said, I teach here. And um, I produced Good Morning America in The View. And Tyra was on both shows. Boom, lets me in. (laughs) Now, I have no permission to do exactly what I'm about to do. But I go in and there's Tyra and her handler. And I just shake her hand in a very quick narrative. Tyra, I teach here at the business school. I also produce Good Morning America in The View. I loved what you just said. Would you be interested in teaching a compressed course with me on personal branding? And she was like, oh, I've always wanted to teach, but I really thought maybe later in my life, I'm not sure if I'm ready right now, which is crazy because she's such an amazing woman, but this is what women do. You know, they they don't think they're capable of new chapters sometimes, even Tyra, who's fantastic. I feel like as women, we almost feel like we have to master something before we can even potentially introduce the idea. It is so true what you just said. I said, Tyra, Tyra, I learned more from you in one hour than uh, I've learned about anything about personal branding. And I have an idea of how to do this course. So we, we switched our cards and we made a phone appointment for a week later. In that week, what I did was I created the whole course. I knew it was six classes, three hours each. I found out when compressed courses taught and what the dates were. I figured out how I'm going to differentiate this course. I'm going to stream it live on Facebook. Um, and I'm also going to get a TV station and do a personal brand pitch as their final project. And then I figured out the textbooks, who were branding experts, who were social media experts to help you uh, figure out how to broadcast your your personal brand. And I just created this whole class. <laughs> but I, I treated it like it was television, right? 
Yeah, you're one of the most prepared producers I've ever worked with. Thank you. That's totally from fear. But yes, I am very prepared. (laughs) Doesn't matter. It works. Fear drives you. And so when I met with her a week later, I sent her everything. And she was like, oh, my God, this is so great. And I said, now I want to hear from you. Let's go class by class. What can you do? What can you add? And I'm not kidding you. She was amazing. Oh, I have this um, framework, which would be great. And I have these visuals and I have these stories. And she's like so brilliant. She's one of the most brilliant marketers I've ever met. And so then I redid and I said, Tyra, you have to commit to either these two weeks or these two weeks, right? all classes. And she's like, okay, I'm going to commit to this and this is my backup. Then I came back, I redid the entire proposal and then came the hard part. I'm like, where is the pushback going to come from? When I present this to the dean, they're going to say Tyra is not our brand here. She's a supermodel. This is not a real class. Is it going to cannibalize another class? And I basically anticipated everything I would hear and I came up with answers for it. And I had a file so thick about proof of, of Tyra and her business experience. And I had really great answers for everything. And then I went to the assistant dean. And I didn't say, you know, I'd like to teach with Tyra. And this is why I said, I want to teach a class with Tyra Banks. This is why it's going to benefit our grad students. This is why it's different from any other course. This is how they're going to learn. This is what, um, what, they're, what experience you're going to have. This, and these are all the things we're going to do. And I showed him the whole class and he asked me every single question I thought he would. And a few more. And I had an answer for everything. At the end, he's like, okay. It tell the story, not only because I work with Tyra really closely, but because I knew that if I'd gone to him the day after Tyra was there and said, you know, Dean, I'd like to teach with Tyra. I think she'd be great. He would have said, absolutely not. And I would have been dead in the water. So this is one of my big lessons which I teach people is present the solution, not the suggestion. It's very powerful for women who need some time to get their thoughts together and who are worried about putting themselves out there. It's very rare when you present something that is fully, fully fleshed out with solutions and then you put yourself in it and then you anticipate all the questions and you have answers for it. Most people say yes. And I've done this time and time again in my life. And so Working with Tyra was a big deal. I won a fellowship award or a chair here. My class was super rounded, which means it was the most popular. I got the highest ratings, but it wasn't just because of Tyra, although she was magnificent. Of course, but you laid the groundwork. You are the driver of that whole... Yeah. And everything. What's really remarkable is I was just so excited to teach one course at Stanford Business School. Here, it's like I'm pivoting to teaching. I've never done it. I don't have a business degree. I pretty much felt like I got into Stanford Business School through the doggy door. (laughs) And now I'm creating my own class. And then that class led me to create another class. Alex Rodriguez heard about it and he knew somebody on staff who was my colleague. And he said, do you think Allison and Tyra would let me be in their personal branding class as a guest? I countered and I said, you know, I'll ask Tyra, but why doesn't he come into my reputation management class and talk about the steroids scandal? Let's see how that goes. And he said, sure. And then 10 minutes later, I get a call from Alex and we had the best conversation and we talked. And then he said, Allison, do you know anybody who's a good coach? And I think he knew I was a media coach. I think he was just, and I said, yeah, Alex, I am. And he's like, would you come out to LA next week and meet with me? And this is when he was getting ready to be on Shark Tank. And we just talked about his products, his projects that he had coming up and uh, talked about Shark Tank and philosophies and coaching and transparency. And I prepped him for reputation management, which he ended up coming in and being best guest ever. We booked him for the the, uh, sports innovation conference here at Stanford. He came and he was the keynote speaker and he was great. And he wanted to teach a course. And I said, just doesn't happen, Alex. I've got to create a course and then I've got to figure out how to fold you in it. So I created strategic pivoting for your next chapter. And this was a course I could teach with or without Alex because I wasn't sure how I would be able to do that. Sure. And this is because people come to Stanford, they're at the ages between 24 and 36, but sometimes the MSX students, which are one year older, they come for a life change and they all come to me and say, Allison, you know, I want to change my brand or while I've been here, I've met great people and I want to do something different. And I said, you can't just be impulsive, you have to be strategic. And I'll walk them through a framework. So I created a course around this. And then Alex was my featured guest speaker. He came in and I've never seen anyone work harder. Honestly, he is an amazing person. Well, have you looked in the mirror? Wow, thank you. (laughs) 
No, it's true. You are you are one of the hardest working and most prepared producers and also one of the most fun. <laughs> like I remember this is a side note, but like the whole Star Wars thing when they re-released the movie in theaters when you let <laughs> the whole office go watch Star Wars. <laughs> hey, that's important. That was a cultural yeah. phenomenon. Well, I gotta throw it back to you because we just have to say this. I'm you know, in love with Brad Pitt and he doesn't know I exist. In a scary way. But he would have been my husband if he did. And I've been very loyal to him all these years. My husband knows it. He would. One of my birthdays, you wallpapered my office with Brad Pitt pictures. Do you remember that? Well, no, here's the thing. <laughs> you came in one day and you said, I'm going to go meet Brad Pitt and I'm taking you with me. And I was like, <gasps> and I was a PA. And then you let me believe it all day. And then at the end of the day, you said, I'm just kidding. Oh, I and I was devastated. So what did I do in retaliation? <laughs> I went into my executive producer's office, you, <laughs> and I made Xerox copies, like 200, and I papered your office. And I kept it up for a really long time. It made me so happy. But honestly, that was the meanest thing I've ever done. And here you're saying what a kind person I am. You are. That is wrong on so many different levels. And I it wasn't your right birthday. now apologize to you for doing that. <laughs> I remember you telling me because you were like, my brother is working at CNN and he's going to interview Brad Pitt oh and God. I'm going to take you. Because it was for that horrible movie that he did with, with Harrison Ford. Oh, right. This terrible movie. You know, look, I don't maintain he's a great actor, although he's gotten better. He's gotten better. I just look at him. You know, it just makes me feel happy. Right. We need to talk about this. <laughs> it's like decades of experience. Now I'm like leaning my credibility. I still believe that being a good person and being kind, you have to work harder. It's harder to succeed, I think, in some ways, yeah. but you can. And I think through all of the years that I've known you and all of the different situations we've been in together, I have seen you do nothing but display goodness and kindness and still succeed. Thank you for saying that. And I do believe that like good people finish first. I really do. I'm a very spiritual mm -hmm. person. And I believe that you know kindness attracts kindness and that you can't, because like I said, be responsible for the people who aren't. But I'm going to tell you that there was a lesson I taught Alex. Alex is a very kind person, but when we were talking, I said to him, Alex, I want you to think about this. You have hundreds of people who want your autograph, want to shake your hand and meet you, and it has got to be exhausting for you. Yeah. Because some days you're probably not in the mood. Because I saw him at Stanford. He would stop and talk to all the students. He'd shake hands with the people who worked in the cafeteria. He's so generous with his time and energy. And I said, I just want you to remember something, that this hundredth millionth time you've done this is someone's first time. And they have been dying to meet someone like you and shaking your hand and getting a kind word from you will be the story they tell in perpetuity to everybody, how they met A-Rod. Right. Said, so when you're feeling overwhelmed or just, you know, you don't want to do this, think about that this is their first time. He, you know, he really listened to that. And then also I told him about writing personal notes and you and I know this from Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters was a note writer. Yeah. And she and I shared the same birthday, which I really think we're related because we both didn't drive. Um, we have big brooches <laughs> in our family. My mom gave me all these pins and we both like chocolate chip cookies and we didn't drive. She would give a personal touch. And also I learned a lot about how she wooed her guests. Not a lot of people remember her really now in this generation, but she shaped me a lot. She's the smartest person in the room. I always was like, I'm going to try to be the smartest. I'm going to work so hard also, Evelyn, this is the other thing. It's really important to be accountable and say when you don't know something. We're so busy dancing and afraid of getting in, in trouble and covering our ass. There have been times when I have done the wrong thing or said the wrong thing and I will own it. Accountability. Take responsibility. Accountability and, and give context, but do not make excuses. Yeah, or pass the buck. No one wants to hear that, Fran. Right. What they want to hear is genuine remorse and understanding and action. So, um... I teach this framework called the trust radar in my reputation management class. Basically, it's the four tenets of how to make a situation better. And it's by Daniel Deermeyer in his book, Reputation Rules. And what he says is to earn someone's trust back or to help with the reputation issue, you need, first of all, empathy. Empathy is, I'm so sorry how that must have landed on you. That must have really hurt you. And then you need transparency. I did this because of this. What's happening now is this. And you tell people what you can. And then you need commitment to making it better. The commitment is, because of this, I'm going to do this. Or I will never let this happen again. Or I'm going to call this person in to help me next time. And then there's expertise. If I can't do it, I'm going to find the right person to make this better or to do it. 
So again, it's empathy, commitment, transparency, and expertise. That's how I coach people in reputation management to help solve the issue. Just extraordinary. I know these principles, values, philosophies are who you are as a person. Everything that you've talked about and everything that you're teaching, A-Rod and Tyra, all of these other people, your roster can go on and on and on. You're basically teaching who you are and how you navigate through life. Like how much of this, all of these classes, all of these ideologies, it truly is who you are, Allison. Evelyn, thank you. I have never felt more happy in my life than I do now. And I know you and I, when we were talking before this, we talked about imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I've had imposter syndrome my entire career and people don't think so. You know, everything must have gone smoothly for you. But I was driven by fear and fear of failure and pleasing people and difficult personalities, all of that. But what kept me going was as long as I do the work and I do it well, I can always fall back on that. And no one can say that I am not a hard worker. So that's my foundational way of dealing with imposter syndrome. Right. And then the other flip side is when I don't know it, I don't pretend. And I say, I don't know this. Can you help me? Or I still don't get it. Who can help me with it? Because if I pretend I'm still going to fail, I think that at this point in my life, I created courses that literally teach what I believe, which seems so egocentric. But for some reason, these lessons really resonate. So what I do is really aligned with what I believe in. And um, since I teach personal branding, people have said to me, what's your personal brand? And I think this is what you're saying. I am blunt, but kind. I'm a New Yorker. I don't waste your time. And I'm going to tell you like it is, but I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't diminish you or demean you, but inspire you. Blunt, you know, it's just my New York word, but what it means is I really care. I I think that's why people really like what I say and like to work with me is because they know I'm not bullshitting them, but they also know that I care so much about their success. And it always comes with recognizing what they're doing well already. We call it the Stanford sandwich. I hate to put something like this in a formula, but whenever I am coaching someone, when I first meet them, I'm analyzing them and I I watch how they communicate. And so what I'll say to them is, you know what you do really well? You do this, you have great eye contact, you're very expressive, whatever. And so I'll, I'll, that's the part of the sandwich, right? Like the, here's what you do well. And then the meat of it is, but you know what you could do to elevate? And then I give the meat. And then at the end I go, but you're doing so well already you're already ahead of the game. That's what a Stanford sandwich is. Okay. It's like you bookend it with positivity. Mm-hmm. That's just a way I approach life before I even knew it was a Stanford sandwich. Point is, is that don't be a smart aleck. Don't like make somebody feel less than or insecure. You're not going to get what you need and they're not going to get what they need. So blunt but kind is how I want to live through my life. I have this guest come in who teaches radical candor. Her name is Kim Scott. She says, you can challenge anybody directly if you care equally. And she wrote a whole book on this and she comes and speaks. And she's like, and if you challenge someone and you don't care, then you're basically in the asshole quadrant, (laughs) right? I guess so. I don't like to ever be in anyone's asshole quadrant. No one wants to be in the asshole quadrant. No, I mean, it's dark. So. It is dark, but I guess what I'm trying to say is I want to walk the walk. You do. I want to lead with kindness. It's done very well for me in life. My purpose is to uh, make people feel better and feel inspired and hopeful. And then I feel like I've had a great day. I really do. You are truly one of the best people I know. You were my executive producer at first, and somehow along the lines, we became friends. And you really are the sister that I want and I look to. And I'm so grateful for your friendship through the decades and through life. You definitely walk the walk. And I've seen you do it constantly during the worst situations, like the worst situations I've seen you do it. And you've handled everything with class and love. I want to be really petty for just a second. And I want to say to J-Rod and Tyrell, I had Allison first. (laughs) You can definitely say that. You're the sister of my soul. My little sister who inspires me. Listen, Allison, you're going to have to come back in the future. So I ask all of my guests to do our signature sign-off. So Allie, let me know who you are and what you represent. I am Allison Kluger, and I represent a fast-talking, fast-walking former New Yorker who leads with love and believes that it's not what happens, it's how you choose to deal with it.
Love, 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 and thanks to Allison Kluger for first always being an amazing and beautiful friend, surrounding me with strength, support, patience, love, and someone who has been with me through, well, a lot. Thank you, Allison, for coming to guest and for sharing your time, your stories, and your light with me and my listeners. The lessons that Allison shared with all of us today is something we can apply in our daily lives. Kindness, empathy, integrity, they're all strengths. You can be all of those things and succeed. Now, if you like this episode and you want to support this series, you can do that just by sharing, subscribing, and downloading. And what would be super cool, and I'd really appreciate it, is if you can leave a review. Now, I've had some great guests on, so go and check out the back catalog and see who said what and who you can relate with. Next up, I have Canadian actress Romina Dugo from Designated Survivor, Nurses, and Rookie Blue. She shares some life lessons that she learned when she was losing her father. At the same time, they don't want me to give up on my own job and career and path. My dad was so proud of me. So at a certain point, it occurred to me that if I couldn't be there at all times for my dad anymore, I would make the decision to be there for someone else's sick and dying parent. And that's how hospice volunteering took shape. Hi everyone, I'm Romina Dugo, and I'm coming to Reppin. Are you? Always thank you to my incredible crew, to Nelson Dinero Panero, who shares his time, talent, and always love and thanks to Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. We have to try to find ways to find peace and art and love and connection in the midst of the chaos of life. So that's life writing. I am so excited to have comic and daily show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. Well, hello. That joke was birthed from my trip to the African-American Smithsonian in DC, which that was the first time I saw something where, all right, on this floor, it's nothing but good news. Mm. We've gone through slavery, we've gone through desegregation and emancipation proclamation and reconstructing but on this floor beyonce michael jordan Issa ray thank you for coming <laughs> come and join us on life writing for more stories like these and the tools writers need to make yourself the hero or heroine of the adventure of your life life writing is available wherever you get your podcasts